0: tell you what, I'm looking forward to that in a moment. Changed for eternity. Take your Bibles, we'll dismiss the young people, uh, we'll go to the Scarbells, take your Bibles, turn to it- John chapter 24 today, John chapter 24, the book of John. Let's all stand as we read this verse today, our text verse, John chapter 4 and verse number 24. Excuse me, John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What a great verse. What an encouraging verse for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful it is to be reminded of the many blessings that we have as being your children. Lord, I thank you for each of these dear folk that are here today. And Lord, as we worship together our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to lift him up. We want people to see him high, be magnified. He's a wonderful Savior, and because of him, so many wonderful things uh, are promised to those who know him as their Savior. Father, today I pray for those that are here that they would be refreshed, that they'd be encouraged and helped. And Lord, I pray that today we'd go rejoicing when we're done out to a world that needs a Savior and point to the one that has made such a difference in our life. God, we thank you, we praise you today. We give you all the honor, the glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you You may be seated. A Russian countess had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and was open about her testimony, about the fact that she had received Christ. She would share it with others. She would tell others about what Jesus Christ had done in her life. The czar was displeased and he threw her into prison. After 24 hours of living the lowest of the Russian life and society there, in most miserable conditions... He brought her into his presence. He smiled kind of uh, sarcastically and he said, Will you, well, are you now ready to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court? To his surprise, the countess, she smiled serenely and said, You know, I have known more real joy and more real happiness in one day in prison with Jesus than I've known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. You know, there's nothing like being saved. Knowing Jesus is our own personal Savior fills the heart of the believer with incredible love and joy and peace. To know that God, who created us, loves us with an amazing love and sent His only begotten Son To die for us is an expression of that love. To experience the joy of our sins being forgiven and His peace which passeth all understanding. There's nothing like being saved. The message this morning is entitled The Blessings of Believing in Jesus. The book of John gives several blessings of which which result from putting our faith in Jesus Uh, the one who saved us, we're going to consider only four of those blessings today. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, may I encourage you to come to that place and receive Him. Humble yourself and receive Him as your Savior. You say, well, Pastor, I received Christ as my Savior. Is there anything in there for for me that will be a help and a blessing? Oh, absolutely. Because we need to be reminded of the things that Jesus has promised to us. I want you to consider as we look in this portion of Scripture. First of all, we, uh, those who have believed in Jesus, have put their trust in Jesus. We are passed from death unto life. We have been passed from death into life. Verse twenty-four again in that portion. Verily, verily, amen, amen. This, what this does when you see that in the Scripture is verily, verily. It's saying, boy, you. Th- this is truth. This is uh, this is a, a stamp of a, of the truth here. And he's saying, "Amen, amen, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life." The Bible tells us that before we were saved, we re, before we received Jesus as our Savior, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter number two and verse number one. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. If you're here today, uh, and I hope that you are here, How many, anybody not here today? Somebody say, Pastor, I, you know what? I feel like, you know, my mind's someplace else. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not exactly here. Well, sometimes we just need to be reminded we're here. You know, people have told me this. They say, Pastor, well, you know what? Uh, I ask them about being at church. They say, well, I was there with you in spirit. I'd rather see you in body. I'd rather see you in body uh, and not just, and not just in spirit. The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were shut off toward God. That idea of being dead, uh, it, it's an example as he uses that term. It's the idea of a person who is dead, has no relationship, no relationship, no fellowship with a person who is living. A person who who is dead cannot hear or respond. A person who's dead. You can try to speak to a dead person, but they will not respond to you. You know, a lot of times when people lose a loved one and some of you have lost loved ones, and you know, you want to say some things that you wish you had said while they were alive. Can I tell you? You ought to say it while they're still alive. If you there's things that you ought to get there's a division and some things that you you know you've done some things wrong it's good for you to get it right while they're still alive. I encourage people to say well you know what that person's done something to me yes but let me just tell you something there's coming a time when you will they will not be able to hear you anymore. I know the world's way of thinking is well you know you can write a note and put it in there and that'll get it all right. No folks that's not what the Bible says. We're not to let the sun go down upon our wrath. We're to get things right because we don't know about tomorrow. We need to make sure that we're walking in the spirit and walking by the control of God and, and folks, so that if God takes a loved one home, we have no regrets. We have no regrets. I've seen people over the, over the year, they say, well, you know what? Um, I, I have conflict with my family. I don't want to be around my family because you know there's all this conflict. Well, folks, can I tell you something? There is coming a time when God may take those family members home. And it's great as a Christian to be able to say, you know what? I've lived with no regret. I've done what God has said. We talked about in Sunday school this morning about the idea that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We are set free when Jesus Christ, uh, when we receive Christ as our Savior. The penalty for our sin is set us free. But the idea of being made free is as you follow Jesus and as we change that, the old way of living, the old way of thinking, as we follow God's principles, it will make us free. It will give us liberty and freedom. And that's what God wants us to enjoy. So many Christians don't enjoy that because they're still bound by living in the way of their own life. God wants to make us free. And I pray today that you will listen to his word and be made free. Not only were we dead before we were saved when Adam and Eve sinned; they were shut off toward God. Their fellowship with God, that closeness that they once had, was done. And folks, may I share with you today that when we, uh, when when they, they, uh, in fact, God drove them out of the, drove them out of the Garden of Eden. And when we stop and we think about this idea, when we come into the world, we are shut off toward God. We're dead toward God. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter number 14 and verse number 1. Psalm 14. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You, know, you say, oh, pastor, I'm not a fool. I, you know, I, don't, I don't say that there's no God. I can see that there's a creator and stuff like that. But uh, if you look at that verse, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see that word there is is in italics. That means in the Hebrew, that word there is is not there. But the, the uh, people that have written the scriptures here, as they've translated it to help you to understand, to make that clarity, they, they put that in. That's why they put it in italics in the King James. The fool has said in his heart, no God. They've told God, no. And if you don't believe that there's a God, you've told God, no. But you know you can believe that there's a God and still tell God no. And Christians sometimes tell God no. If you tell God no when God is t- telling you to do something, you're a foolish person. You're a person who's going after your own direction. And God goes on to say here, He says they ha- they are corrupted. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Folks, there's none in this world given themselves that are of themselves. As we come into this world, there's none of us that do good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men, all men, to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all uh, together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. May I share with you that all of us are sinners? We sin because we're sinners. Our nature is to sin, and we are, when we come into this world, we are uh, dead toward God. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. We are dead toward God. Not only were we dead toward God, but uh, when we come into this world, we are also under the wrath of God. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 36. John chapter 3 and verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? What does it mean that the wrath of God abides on a person who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Well, God is holy and God is just. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners in Romans 3.23 for all have sinned, as we just got done reading as well in Psalm chapter 14. Because God is just, He must judge our sins or He would cease to be just, righteous, and holy. The penalty for our sins is spelled out in the Word of God. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel put it this way, In Ezekiel 18, he says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. It's very clear. It's very uh, to the point. We see here's the the sin, and if we sin, then the, the penalty of it is death. And God at any moment, because he is a just and righteous God, could say that our time is up, and his wrath, his punishment for our sin, could fall upon us. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, may I share with you? that you are under the wrath of God. And God, at any moment, could say, your time is done, you must pay for your sins. It is only by the mercy of God that God has allowed you another opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mercy of God, He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's wonderful news and hope, though, on that, you say, well, man, you, Pastor Walker, as you're sharing today, it sounds like it's kind of gloom and despair. The wrath of God's upon me. I can go to a place called hell. That, that doesn't sound very good, I know, but there's, there's hope for us. The Bible says, go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God knew that you were going to be a sinner, God knew that you needed a Savior. And Romans chapter five and verse number eight, it says, "But God commendeth; He demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." John three seventeen and verse eighteen, it says, "For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved." Jesus is the solution to our sin debt problem. He's the solution to get the wrath of God taken away from us. He suffered and He bled and He died on a cross. He shed His blood and made the payment for our sins. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are moved from being under the wrath of God because of our sins to a position of being set free and in the favor of God. When we humbly receive by faith Jesus Christ, and ask Him to forgive our sins, we are given new life and declared righteous. It's amazing. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed to our account. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word uh, justified means to declare righteous. It's exciting. In the the Greek, it's this idea, the word justified means to declare righteous. It's in what they call the aorist tense. It's punctiliar. God declares us righteous once and for all. When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, God says, you're righteous. You say, well, wow, look at me, I'm righteous. It's not your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why when I look at verses like this and people say, oh, you can lose your salvation, they, don't, they haven't studied the Bible. When, if God declared once and for all, he said, you are justified, you are declared righteous once and for all, how can I lose what God has said I've received once and for all? I am declared righteous. If I sin after I've been saved, do I still have Jesus living within? Absolutely. Why? Because he's declared me righteous. I have broken my fellowship with God because of my sin. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I sin, my fellowship is broken. But may I share with you when I confess my sin, all of a sudden now I'm put back, restored back into the right fellowship with God. My relationship has already been established long before that. Folks, when you get saved, you have a relationship with God which will never change. You are passed from death into life. Praise God that that's where we are today. You know what? I was dead. God before I got saved. But when I asked Jesus, I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, all of a sudden now I have life. I'm alive. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Notice something else. The second thing that we notice about believing in uh, the blessings of believing in Jesus, we become the sons of God. Notice back in John chapter 1, verse number 11. John chapter 1, verse number 11. In John chapter 1, in verse number 11, we we read these words. He came unto his own, speaking of Jesus, he came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When you and I, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we became a child of God. We, we put our total uh, trust and, and uh, faith in the fact that Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That, we were, that he was buried in the third day rose again. And uh, God in his mercy not only saves us, but he makes us one of his children. Amazing. Amazing. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You say, oh, Pastor, why do you keep going through all these verses in the Bible? Because your faith needs to be built upon the truth of God, the truth of God's Word. And you can come back and you can look at these verses over and over and over again and see uh, God's record that you are a child of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15, look what it says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again into fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. When you get saved, you're adopted into God's family. So, well, maybe uh, you've been adopted into a physical family. You know, you, maybe your mother or dad or something happened there, and, and uh, so uh, you were in a situation where somebody, maybe a relative, or, or uh, and you were in a foster home. You were adopted into that family, and you say, Well, pastor, that's horrible. Can I tell you something? It's, it helps you to understand this principle. The principle here that somebody wanted you to be in their family and they were willing to take you and bring you into that family. Before we were saved, we were in the family of Satan. When we, when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, he takes us from that family and he adopts us into his own family where we're able to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Papa, it's, a, it's a, a term of endearment, a sweetness. And as we look in verse 17, and he says in uh, uh, verse number 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we have suffered with him, that we may be also glorified together. They were children of God. I'm glad today that I'm a child of God. I, I am so blessed to be a child of God. My God loves me. The song we sang uh, called The Family of God written by the Gaither. Gaither says, I am so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Folks, if we're saved today, we have a reason to rejoice We're part of the family of God. We're a part of the family of God. There may be those today that have had a pretty rotten home life. You come from a home where no one seemed to want you, no one seemed to love you or to care. But listen, uh, you know, some of our dear bus children, we've heard some of the stories by some of those bus children where the parents say, you know what, we don't want you anymore. We're going to go do something. We're going to do our own life. You go find your own way. And sometimes grandma, or grandpa, or, or somebody else picks those children up and, and brings them into their home. But can I tell you this today, a child, a person, when they come to that place and they say, you know what? I want Jesus to be my Savior. God says, I want you to know that there's a family. You're, you become part of my family. And I want you. And I love you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. How wonderful it is. Jesus' arms are open wide to those who are hurting and need to be comforted. He's waiting to welcome you today into the family of God if you'll only come and receive Him as your Savior. The moment you pray and ask Jesus to save you, He puts His loving arms around you. Look at 1 John. Toward the back of the Bible, before the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love, First John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Talking about Jesus. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Hey, that's what Kathy was singing about. One day, Jesus, our Savior, is going to come and He's going to take us home. And because we're the children of God and He calls His children home, guess what? We get to go. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't get to go. If you don't know Him as your Savior, if you've never asked Him to come into your heart, you don't have that hope. But folks, today today can be a new beginning for you if you'll put your trust in and faith in jesus alone are you part of god's family what is holding you back from being loved by your god what is holding you back from enjoying a sense of belonging to a wonderful family god's family i want you to see the third aspect or the third blessing of believing in jesus christ and it's a, a verse that many of us know in fact it If you've gone to church for any length of time, probably heard it many, many times. John chapter 3 and verse 16. We have everlasting life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. A blessing of being saved is we have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 6, verse 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, Jesus speaking, and everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. There are some folk, as they think about life, they think about uh, living this life, and they want to get all the gusto they can. They want to get everything that they can do and do it all right now. Why? Simply. Because they think that when they breathe their last breath, that this is all done. I'm going to tell you something. It's not all done when you breathe your last breath. God gives each of us a choice. All of us will spend eternity somewhere, either in hell or in heaven. God gives each of us a choice. Some say, well, how could a loving God send a person to hell? Can I tell you something? God is a loving God, but He's also a just God. It is because of His love that He provided a payment for our sins. His own Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. God has provided us a free gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We saw that and heard that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the free gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You must simply receive it. God has provided the free gift, the payment for our sins. God allows each of us, though, to make a choice. Whether to receive his free gift or not. It's your choice. Isn't it nice when people give you a choice? You say, well, sometimes. Sometimes uh, when we're talking about uh, whether, what, what uh, uh, TV program we want to watch or what DVD we want to watch, and, and uh, somebody will say, well, what do you want to watch? I say, I don't care. And somebody else says, well, what do you want to watch? Well, I don't care. And so somebody then finally makes a choice for us, and we, and that, whatever that is, we watch. Can I tell you something? That's not how God is, on eternal life and where you'll spend eternity. God doesn't say, "Well, you know what? I'm going to make that choice for you." So, a pastor, it'd be just really simple. Then all of us would go to heaven because God would choose for us all. To go. but God says, "You know what? I just want you to use this thing called a brain. I want you to understand some things. You're a sinner. You're on your way to hell." Because it's a payment for your sins, it must be paid. My son Jesus came and he died on the cross, gave, wants to give you a free gift of eternal life so that you can live with me forever and become my child in my home in my home, live with me for eternity. Well, which do you choose? Death and, and hell or heaven with the bliss of heaven? Let me see. <laughs> you say, Pastor, it's a no brainer. It would be, but some people say, you know what? If I have to ask Jesus to be my Savior, then I have to be going His direction and His way. That's exactly right. A lot of people say, well, I want to live my own life. Well, the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end there are ever the ways of death. You can pay that price and go to hell. You can live this worldly life and your way is going to be hard. You're going to have difficulties. God says the way of a transgressor, the one who breaks the laws of God and the Word of God, God says you're going to have a difficult life. But you know what? The Bible talks about the, the fact that He gives love and joy and peace to the one who yields their life to Jesus and puts Him first in their life. God gives you a choice. That decision lies in your court. What will you do with God's gift of salvation? You know, others say, well, you know, uh, Pastor, uh, maybe someday I'll receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, but just not now. You know, not to receive Jesus as your Savior is the same as rejecting Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no hope of heaven. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You cannot put your trust and faith in Muhammad and believe that you're going to get to heaven because it won't work. You can trust in the teachings of Confucius, but you will not get to heaven by trusting in man's beliefs. You must trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was buried and rose again for you. That's the only way to get there. To receive Jesus into your heart is the greatest decision you'll ever make. It will provide an abundant life and determine eternity for you. The blessing of having Jesus is I have eternal life. Life without end. Someone has said, when you breathe your last breath here, it's like taking off one garment and putting on another. To be absent from the body as a Christian is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> I'm looking forward to being with my Savior. The Bible teaches He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for him that love him. We've got some wonderful things awaiting us, of which John talks about, but we're not going to look at that this morning. But I want you to understand there's blessings of being saved. There's blessings of walking with Jesus. There's blessings of living this new life that Jesus Christ came to give us. But I want you to see the last one, last uh, blessing, and that's this. We shall receive the satisfaction of life. The satisfaction of life. Look at John chapter 6 and verse number 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. When we believe that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross, and we choose to receive him as our Lord and Savior, he comes into our life and our heart, and he satisfies the longing of our soul. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about the longing of? Of our soul, you know, mankind searches for those things that will give them the joy and the purpose of their soul. Some people uh, are looking for different things. Solomon, the Bible says, was the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon was a believer; he believed in God. But in the Book of Ecclesiastes, if you've never read that book, it's an interesting book to read. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, as he he had seeing God work in his behalf. And he had prayed and said, God, you know, give me wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. And not only to give him wisdom, but he gave him wealth and different things because he wanted to put God first in his life. But Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, began to start looking and thinking, there must be more to life than what I found already. And so Solomon, he begins. He tries pleasures of all sorts. He says, "Whatever his heart desired, that is what he did." But he, but he concluded in in uh, Ecclesiastes two one. He says. I said in my heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasures. And behold, this also is vanity. Pleasures. Living for pleasure. Whatever he wanted to do. That's what he did. Boy, it would be fun to go and, 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 uh, and have chariots. Uh, uh, you know, have, Go to the chariot races and see that those people. Went, oh, that's wonderful. And, and Solomon says, you know what? That's empty. It doesn't last. Oh, there's fun for a season, but it doesn't last. And so you look for something else, some other pleasure, something else that you you think will just fill you up and it'll be wonderful and that's what will carry you on through life. But Solomon says, I've done all that possession stuff or the pleasure stuff. Then he went and the Bible says he went after possessions. He thought, well, you know, if I just build great works and he built gardens and orchards and, and pools and he, and he had amassed wealth and he got servants to serve him and, and just to be wait on him day and night and singers and different people and he got all that stuff together. But consider what he said in Ecclesiastes 2.9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart uh, from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all the labor, and this was my portion of all my labors. Then I looked, all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity, that word vanity means empty, and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Man, I labor. There's so many people that labor, and they're and they're doing labor, and they're building this, and they're building that, and they're and they I'm just I'm I'm surrounding myself with possessions, and I've got this boat, and I've got this house, and I've got this cabin, and I've got all these things. Can I tell you something? Solomon did all that stuff too. He tried. He says, you know what? When I look at all of that, it's empty. And we lived in California. My wife and I and, and our family. We lived in a. In a three-bedroom, a three-bedroom, two-bath house, thousand fifty square feet, small little house. We we're grateful for that little house because we lived in a two-bedroom apartment, and that was kind of tight. But the gentleman that owned the house, he was a very wealthy man. He was a dentist. He didn't have to work, but he chose to work as something to do. He had a house that was a multi-million dollar house in one place and he had a multi-million dollar house in another place that was on the, on the lake and, and he would go every year and he'd go and he'd buy a new Mercedes Benz, he'd go over to Germany, buy a new Mercedes and, and bring it back and, and uh, he, was, he had all sorts of wealth, he had all sorts of possessions, had all sorts of stuff and I remember in clear on, a, on a, one, it was a Sunday night actually, we were home from church and I would do work for him, I'd do some landscaping things for him on the side And I remember him calling me up and he said, uh, Phil, I need to have you come and do this. And And so I said, okay, and we were talking. He says, you know, I would give up everything that I have to have what you've got. And I tried witnessing and giving the gospel to him before many times. And I said, you know, you can have what I've got. You can have Jesus to live in your heart. He said, well, no, no, I'm too much of a sinner. I said, you know what? Jesus came to die for sinners, all sinners. And you can have that if you just receive Jesus and have the joy and the peace that he can give. I'd like to tell you that he received Christ, but he said, you know what? I can't. You know, Jesus said the person that's rich, they have all these possessions, all these things, and it it becomes the chains of them that hold them from deciding to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Because what you have to do is you have to say, you know what, I'm willing to give all that up because I know that the real place of satisfaction is only in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus can satisfy the soul. Jesus can satisfy the soul. Solomon tried pleasures. He tried possessions. You know what, he even tried education. People think you know if you just have enough education, you have enough learning, you have, have all of that, then that will be what will keep me through, and that'll give me joy. Ecclesiastes two fifteen. Solomon says this. Then said I in my heart, as it happened to the fool, it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise than I said in my heart? This, or that. This also is vanity. You know, there are some people. If I just get enough degrees, they can call me Doctor Fahrenheit. Uh, get all this this knowledge and stuff like that, then I'll find satisfaction. What life is all about? Can I tell you something? When you get to the top of that, you'll find that you are still empty. His attitude as he reached as the result of his reach of an unfulfilled life in chapter Ephesians two, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes two seventeen. Therefore, he says, "I hated life." because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, and all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Do you want to hear the conclusion of the matter as he's going through and figuring this thing out? And it didn't happen overnight when this, he went through this process. This is a time of his life as he's going through this It wasn't just overnight. He did, remember, if you're building something, it takes time. If you're seeking pleasure, it takes time. As you're amassing possessions, it takes time. So he's wasting time to find out what life is all about and what's going to satisfy. Ecclesiastes, if you turn there, the book of Psalms is the middle of your Bible. Proverbs is to the right. And then you have the book of Ecclesiastes. And look what he says in Ecclesiastes. He comes full circle. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You want to find out what life is all about? Hey, live for God. That's what life is all about. You want to have satisfaction in this life? Live for Jesus. And you'll understand what life is all about. To know and to live for God will satisfy your soul. How can we know God? It starts by receiving Jesus, His Son, into your heart as your Savior. John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 John two twenty three, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Some people say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Well, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Father. John 6.35, it says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy the longing of your soul. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, Whosoever drinketh of this water, talking, he was sitting on a a well, he says, Whosoever drinketh of this water, that uh, uh, the, excuse me, whosoever drinketh of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That living water that Jesus gives is the spirit of faith and love and hope and joy and holiness and happiness which is inward, the living water which Jesus gives will be so reviving and so satisfying to the soul that they'll never thirst. He will just continually be giving you more and more as you come to the living water to let it refresh you on a day-by-day basis. That's why it's so important to be in God's Word. Because it refreshes us. It's the living water. It's the Spirit of God that refreshes the joy and the hope and the peace. As you spend time with God in His Word and you commune with Him in prayer and you talk to Him about your life and He talks to you through His Word, you're refreshed on a daily basis. Have you ever been searching for something to satisfy your soul? Perhaps you've been like Solomon and you tried all that the world has to offer, pleasure and possessions and education, but you've come up empty. May I share with you today what you need is Jesus. You need Jesus. He can fill that void in your life, He can fill you to overflowing. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Super exceeding. You might say, Well, I know Jesus. It's not enough to know that Jesus is a good man, it's not enough to know that Jesus was a good teacher. You must accept that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on a cruel cross for your sins. He suffered and He bled and He died. He was buried. But praise God, He rose again the third day from the tomb. He demonstrated to us that He has power over life and death. And because He lives, we too shall live. You must ask Him to come into your heart to be your Savior. It is only then that He will give you the living water, the Holy Spirit, who can meet your thirsty soul. Won't you believe in Jesus today? Won't you put your trust and faith in Jesus? Let me ask you a question. Where are you putting your faith today? Someone has written, the Muslims put their faith in the Quran and Muhammad. The Buddhist puts his faith in graven images. The humanist puts his faith in himself. The religious man puts his faith in his works. The materialist puts faith in his wealth. But a true spiritual life of faith is the only uh, is only as good as its object. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. John Dyer, a Welsh poet and pastor, in in the 1700s, once wrote, a man may go to heaven without wealth, without, rich, uh, without, excuse me, without health, without riches, without honors, without learning, without friends, but he can never go there without Christ. Today our world is full of people who are seeking some other way to God and to find satisfaction, but all their efforts are empty and vain. Won't you allow Him, won't you allow Jesus to come into your heart and to save you today and to satisfy your soul? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You today for Thy precious and wonderful Word. God, how awesome it is to reveal to us the the, the, ma- the, the Master, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank You, Lord, for saving me. What a wonderful gift that You gave to me when I, when I received Jesus as my Savior, He gave me the gift of eternal life. He gave me forgiveness of my sins. And Lord, today, because He lives, I too have the promise of eternal life. And He can have the assurance that one day I will live with You forever in heaven. Father, today I pray for those that are hearing the voice, this voice coming from this pulpit. And I pray, Lord, if there's one without Jesus today, they would not turn away from Jesus, that they would open their heart's door and receive him into their heart and life. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I ask you today to consider do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do not know Jesus today as your Savior, can I tell you something? You're lost. You're dying. You're on your way to hell and you're going to have to pay for your sins one day. But the good news is, is that Jesus, God's Only begotten son died in your place to demonstrate God's love for you. And today, if you will receive Jesus as your Savior, you can be saved. You don't have to go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Today, you can receive him as your Savior. You say, Pastor, how hard is that to do? Well, it's simple. God says you must believe that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God says we must understand that Jesus died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, we must believe that he did it for you because he loves you. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10.13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to turn from your sin and turn to the Savior, Today, May I share with you today, you can be saved. Right now, in the quietness of your heart, you can pray a simple prayer. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe your son Jesus died for me. I want him to come into my heart and my life and save me right now. I want to give my life to him. I want to live his way in Jesus' name. With no one looking around, if you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior today, it's the greatest decision you could ever make. The blessings that we talked about this morning are in your hand right now. If you prayed and asked Christ, let me encourage you. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Is there anyone like that this morning? As we sit here and we think about that, you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior? While you're listening on the Internet, let me encourage you. If you've never, if you asked Jesus to be your Savior, You need to get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church so that you can grow as a Christian. Let me encourage you to find a good Baptist, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church and get involved and serve the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a a part of Galilee Baptist Church, I encourage you to consider making this your church home. Dear Father, we pray today that uh, as, as we contemplate this message today that you would cause us Lord, to rejoice and to thank you for what you've done and what you are doing in our life. Lord, may you help us with this message to give it out to the, our friends and loved ones that, that don't know Jesus, that they can have the blessings that you've provided for them as well. Father, in this invitation time, I pray our hearts will be tender to your, your speaking now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Brother Scott is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. Well, let me ask, let me encourage. You. If you prayed and asked Jesus to be your savior, you say, Pastor, I didn't. A-